1: Hey guys welcome back we are bringing you an amazing just super cool super smart you know lovely human being um mc mary catholic mcdonald and she is a friend actually she's become a friend of mine uh she's also a really good friend of my partner this is how i met her john kim um but she is a trauma guru that is yeah. like the best way to describe her.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, she's, she is like the trauma expert and mm-hmm. I feel like just like so insanely intelligent. And, um, you know, we were talking about in the episode, I think she makes these really sort of um, complex concepts really approachable in the way she talks about them from um, just such a humanistic and a narrative perspective that we can all sort of relate to in terms of our own experiences.
1: Yes. And I think that's exactly it because what I was thinking is, you know, the term trauma or the idea of trauma, I feel like a lot of people can be, I don't know if turned off is the right word, but like they shy away from because mm. it's like, oh, well, you know, I've never been in war, so I don't, trauma doesn't pertain to me, right? Um, and I think what MC does so beautifully is she actually does bring it home to everybody and, and really is able to help everybody understand that it affects them all in some way. Um, and that we all could learn from kind of her and her wealth of knowledge, but we could all learn from this work, like from trauma work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
0: just, I love The ways that she expanded on how we define trauma. Like I definitely learned some things I didn't understand about trauma in this episode. So I just feel like it's such a valuable gift to get her perspective on on what trauma is and how many of us have experienced trauma that we're not even aware of.
1: Right. And how we can be in support of or in service of others and how important other people are Mm. uh, to us, us to them, and, and the effects that that relational experience has on trauma
0: yeah so we're just excited for you guys to hear this episode it's so good
1: yeah hope you enjoy
0: Vanessa and I are so excited about our guest. This is um, a friend of ours and someone that we are so fortunate to get to work with in um, a project that we have called the Angry Therapist Lab, the TAT Lab. We have with us today Mary Catherine McDonald. She's a PhD and an expert in all things trauma. Um, And I think, Vanessa, you've known MC a little bit longer than I have.
1: Yeah. So my partner, uh, John, actually, and MC go way, way back they are like OG friends uh, and I actually got to meet MC after pretty much like, I don't know, the first couple of years of John and I dating him, talking about how awesome she was and then magically Aww. she appeared in California and I was like, yay, <laughs> she's made, she's made the transition to the West Coast like the rest of us. <laughs> so I'm happy friends. that she's, she's local coast now. I mean, you did just move again further away from us, but at least <laughs> on the same coast.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, glad to have you here.
2: Thank you guys so much. I'm so excited. I, I am fangirling because even though I know you guys personally, I, I'm obsessed with this podcast. I've sent Aww. it to everyone. I know, love the mission of it and just demystifying, and all the episodes have been amazing. Aww. So, thank you. I'm thank you. super excited.
1: Yeah. Well, we, you know, when we talked about having you on, we, one of the things we were talking about is obviously right now. So, as we record this, we're still in the midst of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. um, all things COVID. And one of the things that Danae and I were talking about is like the collective trauma that kind of we're going through as a society right now. Um, obviously, you know, Danae and I are therapists and actively see clients and stuff. And so that comes up a lot and you are kind of the trauma guru. I mean, so that is where I would love to go, but I guess maybe we can put a kind of pin in that and, and turn it over to you, I guess. And really uh, my question for you or our question for you is how did trauma kind of, become the flag that you're waving, right? Like, what was it for you that, that got you here? Just give us a little bit of your story, all that, all sure. that jazz.
2: Yeah, um, so it's actually, you know, like most good things, it was an accident. Um, I was studying and I was uh, doing my dissertation I wanted to look at the way that our psychology is structured narratively Mm. and I was running up against um, Mm. arguments about narrative self-identity and stuff like that and so I wanted to use trauma as an example of when your narrative gets shattered because Mm. I kept coming across these stories and I had had this experience in my own life of like your narrative gets shattered sometimes before you know you have a narrative, you know? Mm. And then I just fell down this rabbit hole and then I just Mm. moved right into it because I started going to conferences, to trauma conferences and trying to just figure out, okay, what is the definition of trauma? What are the basics? And so much of it I found was still in flux. We're still arguing about Mm. which kinds of things count as traumatic events, who gets to say who's traumatized, the person who experienced it or the person who's, you know, diagnosing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just opened this whole other realm for me. And I kind of ditched that project. Although I still think about narrative and stuff like all of us, all three of us probably do. Um, but it just became this, this whole other thing. And I started seeing these couple of different ways in which I was like, wait, we're doing this wrong. Like Mm -hmm. we have the wrong conception. We have the wrong definition, like, and we're hurting people. Uh So, and I sort of dedicated my life to that.
0: (laughs) So MC, will you say more for those who don't necessarily know what what you mean when you say the narrative that we hold and sort of um, what that might mean as we are moving through our lives?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that we are partially sort of constituted by stories, right? Mm-hmm. Like stories we're telling about ourselves and the stories that other people tell about us. Um, if we think about. Mm-hmm most of the things we struggle with, usually it's that you have this narrative arc that you were drawing and it goes sideways in a way Mm -hmm. that was unexpected. And so then you have to retell the story, reframe the story, decide what the new meaning is, go in a different direction, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So I'm sort of, and I know you guys know that there's people who argue that, this isn't the case for everyone, but I, I think we're narratively structured. Like I think our psychology part of what's inherent about being human is, is storytelling.
0: I love describing it that way because I sort of feel like that is often what causes a lot of us to suffer, right? Like this, the concept of what I had, um, Envisioned for my life, what I thought my life would look like, and something sort of either comes along and is a redirect or ruptures that idea of how I've held life up to this point. Yeah. And I sort of really struggle with detaching from the narrative I've held up to this
1: point. Yeah. And so I'm more in str- the narrative that other people have held mm. over me. I think that's right. a very one too.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, just take, you know, so I lost my parents when I was in my 20s, my mid 20s, kind of unexpectedly. And um, you keep so even just in, in grieving right like mm-hmm. you continue to encounter this still kind of fascinates me so much later like you still encounter ways in which you thought you were writing a story far into the future mm-hmm. right and so when it changes your parents are no longer there you still have that story and now you keep encountering the, the shifts in narrative if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know And I think, you know, so much to going back to what Vanessa just said, so much of like family dynamics is about like, okay, what role did you play in the family system and what's the Mm. story around that? And being able to sort of grow and differentiate yourself outside of that is such a tricky thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens when the, like when you've decided or accepted that your story is changing or has changed and yet the people around you haven't or won't or refuse, right? Mm Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I'm just thinking that because I, I was just with my, my sister was just visiting, who's only 20. And so huh? it's fascinating to watch her in that, pretty much in that moment in time, right? Which is, she's starting to finally realize that it's time for her to write her own story. Yeah. But then to see kind of the pushback that she's getting, I think, from, you know, people who had an idea, I mean, even myself, you know, you've had an idea of what you want her story to be. And mm-hmm. she's pushing against it and saying like, no, I want it to look like this. And and then dealing with the kind of retaliation for that or the fallout. Yeah, that's fascinating.
0: So can we back up just a little bit with your story, MC, and just um, did you sort of always have an interest in sort of this trajectory, or do you feel like um, the event of losing your parents so young really sort of had you shift gears, or what were you interested in, in doing when you were younger?
2: So I was working in, um, I was getting a master's degree in psychoanalysis and philosophy. Mm. uh, And I was studying mourning, uh, like mourning, like grieving, not mourning Mm -hmm. the time of day. (laughs) Um, And in the middle of that, my parents died. And Mm. I I was already studying it. And so I was Mm. like, oh no, what do I do? And I was sort of paralyzed for, I had kind of two years where I I didn't write a single thing. Everything felt so like there was a humiliation to it. Right. Like I had this arrogance of like, oh, I'm going to write about grief, this thing I have never experienced, you know? And then life was like, oh, you want that? Bam. You know, not that that, I think that that's what the universe was doing or anything, but um, it was, it was hard to reconcile. And then I just was like, okay, no, like these two pieces of yourself, like this is what feels good to be able to write about this, to be able to think about it intellectually from a safe place while processing the emotional part. Like that's healing, you know? Mm -hmm um so it really it's it really saved me in a way um and then so when i went on to start looking at trauma it was it it felt very natural but then people started calling me dr sunshine because i'm always like oh and the next i'm gonna do war and the next i'm gonna do you know um but i'm always very smiley and excited about it so there's kind of a
1: (laughs) when i think about the idea of trauma too i mean even just i think in my lifetime so much has changed around the the narrative around trauma. When I think about growing up or whatever, when I was younger, you know, hear trauma. And to your point, it's like war, right? Like famine and war and natural disasters and you know all these like very what we would 100% look at and say mm. that is traumatic. You know, PTSD really wasn't even something we talked about until I don't know maybe the last 10 15 years if I remember mm. correctly. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to me how much we've seen a shift, uh, culturally in an acceptance, at least of trauma being real and an acceptance in trauma being more than just, you know, like I said, the war, the famine, the big, the big T. Totally.
2: I can't tell you how many offices I sat in when I was trying, getting ready to write my dissertation where I would have professors, right. Who we uphold to be, you know, (laughs) the most together, intelligent, with it people mm. and they were like well you know trauma is not really a thing right therapists just plant memories you know and 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 that and, and it was just like what like <laughs> how can this be how can this be a question like that mm. was the first two years of my research like how how can this be a question mm. that we that you're seriously asking you know
0: Emcee, will you will you start to speak to that a little bit, right? Like, what is trauma? Um, what are the ideas that we sort of hold collectively about what trauma is? That like some misconceptions about what trauma is. How do you understand trauma or define trauma as you're working with clients? A little bit of. And yeah. let me add in
1: that question too, when you're saying that Zanae and you're asking that question, the other thing that's coming up is for people who are listening, who have either been raised by or still live in this kind of very, like, it's a very Western culture thing, especially American culture, like the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. I think answering all of those amazing questions that Zanae just asked, um, I'm keeping some of those people actually in mind. <laughs> mm. Yeah.
2: For sure. So there's the clinical definition and then there's my definition, right? So I'm just going to say that those are two separate things because the clinical definition is not totally overlapping with, with my own definition. I really love, there's a clinician, Robert Solaro, who's in LA um, and he, he's a philosopher, psychologist, really deep thinker. And when I saw his definition of trauma, I was like, that's it. He defines it as emo, uh, unbearable emotional experience that lacks relational home. Mm, can you so say you it again? Unbearable. Yeah, okay. One more time. <laughs> unbearable emotional experience that lacks relational home. Mm. So anytime you have an experience that's sufficiently unbearable that you go reaching, right? Mm. So you can't, you can't bear it alone. And so you go reaching for somebody else to help you process it and understand it and assign meaning to it and contextualize mm. it and relate, right? Um, and then that relational home isn't there. Or you can't communicate it in a way that feels like it matches the intensity of the event. And so the relation is kind of missed and you're left isolated Mm -hmm. with this experience that just remains present, right? Time doesn't like close up on it. It just keeps, you know, it's relentlessly present. Um, So that's a lot of words, but it's, I think a simple definition, which is just that anything that's sufficiently unbearable so much that you need someone else and then that other isn't there. And so you
0: get stuck. I feel like that's so powerful because I think of, um, you know, like the healing of trauma always being really a relational experience, but I've never heard someone sort of define trauma in the context of reaching for something relational or some sort of connection to help me process or make sense in this moment of experiencing Mm -hmm. the actual trauma. Totally, because going back to like what we were talking about before about narratives, like if we're structured narratively,
2: then a part of what we're doing psychologically is always telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. And relating pieces of ourselves, whether they're joyful or humorous or mundane or traumatic, to other people. And part of who we are and how we, you know, forge connection is by relating to each other in those, you know, those like, oh, me too. Oh, I know that feeling. Oh, yeah, I thought I was the only one, right? Those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have something that's so shattering and then you don't have that relation, it's, it kind of it, it shatters your whole recording mechanism. You
1: know? mm. And would you say that, so when you say you don't have that relational experience, is it also um, the same as saying that you maybe have, have so much shame around it that you feel like you can't? Reach out oh, for, for relational sure. experience. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking about, yeah. you know um, I don't know, let's say, you know, I've worked with clients who have come back from war and who have struggled with PTSD yep. and, and um, they, they don't, they're ashamed. So they don't want to have the relational experience. But the, but the yeah. point is, is that that relational experience, then talk say what you were saying today is actually where the healing is found.
2: Totally. Totally. And I think like that it's funny because I'm writing with this right now about like what we're doing in American culture, kind of that is failing American veterans. We did this cross-cultural study, mm-hmm. like, okay, let's look at the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Why are so many American soldiers coming back with PTSD when you have Israelis, like our NATO ally countries were at the same war, but they, didn't, they don't have the same rates of PTSD. And it's not just a diagnosis thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things is that, so you come home and you, you, what you need in terms of relation is something specific. And it, that's not culturally available to you. And so you can tell the story, right? It's not that you don't have the narrative all the time, although there's cases of, tra- of trauma where you don't have access to the narrative, right? But you can tell the story, but you the relation is incomplete or it's like insufficient or, or the, the connection that you try to make is one where you come feeling a little bit of shame and then the other person shames you and then you've got mm-hmm. more layers of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: So MC, if we stay with sort of the example that Vanessa's giving, like if you were in the experience of war yeah, and you were going through that experience with someone else and, you know, the two of you had the shared experience of what we went through together, does that mm-hmm. impact the way that you um, experience the trauma?
2: Yes. So the research that, that we've, I have a, a research partner, Gary Senecal, and we've done a couple studies on this and we looked at social support and solidarity. Mm. and what that looks like both in combat and then coming home and it's complicated right and i'm not saying that as like a, a you know to dismiss it but if you're in a you know in a company and you're in a particular battle and you and your buddy go through the same thing even though you went through the same experience the same training all that stuff you're going into the situation with the same experience. Um, And so even though you went through it together, there can still be like a relational rift because if you feel trauma from that and the other person who went through it doesn't, Mm -hmm. that can compound your shame. Mm -hmm. So it can be a place of solidarity and camaraderie for sure, but it can also be a place of like really deep um, disconnect, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and sort of... Sorry. Um, but yeah, but just sort of circling back to what you were saying about like the narratives we've held up to that point, I would think that would really impact the way that I might experience this traumatic yeah. event versus the person I'm experiencing it with. A hundred percent. Going back to Vanessa's point a little while ago about like so
2: much has changed even in the last like 10 years. I was at conferences where they were arguing that if you had, if you came back from war, so they were trying to understand why is it the case? right? Mm -hmm. That some people come back from, from the same battle and some of them have PTSD and some of them don't. And the, the, the prevailing belief at that time was, okay, you must have trauma before. And it's Mm -hmm. not that war is traumatic. It's that you had some previous trauma and this got layered on top of it. Um, and so the belief was kind of that adult trauma was, was not possible. And that was really recent, which is, you know, a little disheartening.
1: Mm -hmm in your experience or studies have you seen that does it have anything to do with biology as well like does that play a component i mean we were getting like too nerdy and deep into it but that's just a question that i that just came up for me No,
2: i so love it so totally so i have a like i'm gonna have to turn my well i don't i have a chart (laughs) that that if only our
1: listeners could see a chart
2: (laughs) i know right um but yes right so the so they've they most of the study about like biology of trauma comes from um when you look at early childhood stress, early childhood mm-hmm. environment stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they find that there's in if there's any kind of neglect or abuse in the early environment, this translates almost immediately, it, like it's embedded biologically. So it changes the way your genes express themselves, it mm-hmm. changes the way that your neural circuits develop, it changes your stress reactivity system, it changes your immune system. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then that expresses itself in, you know, things that look like depression, but Mm our trauma, or things that look like anxiety, but our trauma. Um, And the reason why that's so tricky is that if you, if you medicate someone for depression, but it's trauma, the medication isn't going to work as well. Right. Right. And so intractable depression could be early life stress, you know, all these things. So all that is to say trauma changes your biology and it changes your genes and the way they express themselves. And so it absolutely has a biological component. And they've also found things like, you know, the research on this is very new, but they're like, okay, so are there receptors in your brain that you might be more sensitive to that might make you more susceptible to developing PTSD in the face of a particular stressful environment? And there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of arguments there on both sides, but it's definitely a factor for sure. So it's like the narratives we come in with the life mm-hmm. experience we have, the biology we have, whatever else has gone on in our system. And we don't always recognize when we've had stress. Right. So right. that's, it's, it's not like you can kind of give, okay, here's the timeline of my life and here are all the things that are traumatic and here's how they changed my biology. Maybe we'll get to that point eventually, but um, it's super
1: complicated. Well, and what you just said, what that just brought up for me is in therapy a lot, we talk about the you know, the big T and the little T traumas. And I feel like even that's new, newer kind of language in the sense of going back to what we were saying before, it's not just war, that's trauma, right? I mean, you for can sure. have small traumas um, and from my my own readings and research, even the small traumas still change your the wiring of your brain and they still 1, have an impact, sure. impact yeah. on you, right?
2: Yeah. And, and the especially heartbreaking thing there is because this is why we have to be so careful about the way that we categorize and define things. Mm-hmm. If these things don't count, right? I'm making scare quotes. Mm-hmm. If these things don't count as traumatic, then you don't get coded as a, as someone who's been through trauma. And then you know even if you have some kind of inner knowing where you're like "Ah, oh, that was really upsetting i feel like that really changed course here for me you're not going to get likely you know you're not going to get any clinical validation of that because it's like no here are the things that count as traumatic and here are the things that don't which you know going back to the definition one of the reasons why i like stolero's definition so much is that it's it's wide enough and it empowers the person who's survived the event to decide right Right This was unbearable for me. It doesn't matter if someone else experienced this as unbearable. It was unbearable for me, and that's such a rich beginning point, right? Yes. like
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love so much of what you're saying. It makes so much sense to me in the context of um, you know what what you're saying about anxiety and depression, and I think mm-hmm. um so many of the clients that we sit with, um you know Vanessa and I come from a depth psychology background where mm-hmm whatever it is that we are experiencing we sort of meet with curiosity about sort of like you were speaking to MC like the character arc of my life and Mm -hmm. what has this been about like can I meet this with curiosity I think so often in our culture these things like anxiety and depression we want to just sort of like make it go away without sort of meeting it with like what is this about right and Mm -hmm. I find so often that when someone comes to see me with just debilitating anxiety, when we dig a little deeper, there's a very good reason that you're feeling anxious yeah. because you have yeah. some unresolved trauma that we need to look at, right? And I, I love the, the way you just said that too. There's a good reason, right? Like, mm. because this is the other thing, like the
2: trauma response is born of strength. It is not a weakness and it's not a sign of disorder, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It is a it is a strength. When your brain and your body and your central nervous system and the whole thing respond to overwhelm and they kick into gear that's because there's a there's an inherent innate desire for vitality to survive when that goes haywire we're so quick to judge it feeling is okay it's getting curious as you just said why are you feeling that way What is that coming from mm-hmm. and can you look at it with curiosity because once you do that you're activating different parts of your brain which counter overwhelm and mm-hmm. so, even just that act of like having that space where someone can be like, okay, what's that about? Let's not judge it or ask when it's going to be over, which, of course, is a very natural thing, right? Let's just be with it for a second. What does that feel like? What does that look like? Where is it in your body? You know, and it just changes everything.
1: I was just, um, I came from teaching, talking about what Danae was saying that we all work together um, in the project, the, the TAT lab, the TAT lab. And I was just actually teaching on, um, Defense mechanisms. Oh yes, I was teaching on it uh, within the context of codependency, um, Mm -hmm. but talking about you know the whys, the hows, the wheres of what defense mechanisms are and coping mechanisms, and and basically saying just that right, like we all have them they're totally normal. And thank God we do, right? Because they're there for a reason. I mean, they're there to protect us. And what a magical, amazing thing actually. When you what you just said kind of triggered it for me. It's like when your mind your spirit, like when everything aligns to come yeah. together and protect you, like that, that's unbelievable. That's, thank God we have that.
2: I know. I know that brings like tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. We, we in, in Tat Lab last week, we were talking about like, can you, okay, if you identify your triggers, what if you saw them as superpowers mm-hmm. instead of these things that were ruining your life? Because right. that's what they are, right? Like, and, and, and if we can get curious about them, then we can have a little bit more control over, you know, where they they sneak out, right? right? Um, and kind of rein them in a little bit. It is such a beautiful thing. Like how amazing is it that we're designed that way? Like mm-hmm. that we, you know, by chance or by whatever you believe in, like we find ourselves in such a state where when we are sufficiently overwhelmed, our our I love how you just said that, our like our brain and our soul, like everything aligns and it's just like, nope, we're out of here, you know, right. in in one way or another you know, they're one of the frustrating things about trauma is that it comes out in so many different ways. But I think that's a testament to the power of our brains and bodies to protect us and souls, and whatever else.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, what you were saying before about the things that we don't even recognize as stressors, I think yeah. that it is, it is so potent when we sort of have our um, journey witnessed and someone sort of reflect for us like what you went through like that was that was trauma you know Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of times we don't recognize that for ourselves but as it is sort of pointed out to us this is what you needed to do to sort of survive that trauma Mm -hmm. that thing that you've sort of been feeling like is your your weakness or your struggle has actually been the superpower that has kept you going that has carried you through what was you know so difficult and how would you have otherwise right
2: Exactly. And maybe it doesn't serve you anymore, right? Mm. And so let's figure out, let's grab another tool, let's find some more coping mechanisms, but first, reverence for what it did.
0: I love that. Mm. I feel like Vanessa and I were curious to talk to you a little bit about this moment of collective trauma. I feel like I've talked to so many clients about what we have experienced this year with this whole global pandemic is trauma you know um, from not knowing what was safe to do in the beginning, not knowing what the effects of this thing would be on any of us, not knowing um you know what was safe, what wasn't safe for our families, our loved ones, it is traumatic and it has an impact on our nervous system right and How do you, um, how have you been experiencing this time with clients?
2: So I've always been this like, you know, underdog sort of geek studying the weird thing that no one else was studying. Like, I've never been like, oh, here I have a bunch of useful knowledge. It was always just like, (laughs) here's a rabbit hole. I fell down and and look at this weird stuff I'm doing. But when um, the second, I think it was like the second week of quarantine, I was like, oh No no one has stress coping skills like guys no one has stress coping skills like no mm-hmm. <laughs> and then then i was like oh i have i have information like i have tr- you know tricks and tips and i can and psychoeducation and things i can tell you about what's happening and why you're having trouble sleeping and why you can't concentrate that can help you normalize and then potentially intervene on those things right um so there's been like i've felt like a lot of urgency to be like mm-hmm. okay how do i get these skills and these tools like out to people because mm-hmm you know i have this little bit of knowledge that might be helpful and it's been shocking to me like i knew that we struggled with stress coping in our culture i did not know the extent it's shocking like we cannot handle it meaning i don't mean that i don't mean that in a judgmental way i just mean like we don't have toolboxes full of things when we're overwhelmed we just power through our culture is a culture of power through and then as with any coping skill, when you meet the thing you can't power through, you're Mm. just bereft, you know? So there's that, there's that urgency. But then I also want to stress that, like, I also don't know, right? Like I do have like tools and tips and random facts about the brain and the stress response and stuff, but this is unprecedented and that's Mm. important to kind of underline. And we've got, political unrest we've got public health unrest we've got personal unrest we've got economic unrest all layered on top of each other and none of it shows any sign of of receding you know and so I think that's it
1: right it's it's to use the narrative um the the conversation with the narrative Mm -hmm. is we we're not on the other side of it yet so we actually like we know that the course of our life has changed we know that our narrative has been kind of shattered but we don't we don't have, the pieces haven't fallen yet. Yeah. So there's actually no way for us to even start to pick them up yet because we have no idea where and when they're going to fall. Right, um, exactly. And I, I feel like in, in my experience with working with people, that's been some of the hardest thing, right? Is it's like, how do mm-hmm. I deal with the stress and the trauma I'm dealing, I'm going through right now when I don't know what a day, a week, a year is going to look like in any right. capacity? Not that right. many of us really know, right? But, um, But yeah, like the pieces just, they haven't fallen. Totally. And we,
2: we, we don't like know ever, right. It's an illusion, but we think we do. And that carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Robert Solero again talks about um, he calls them the absolutisms of everyday life. Like these mm-hmm. things that we just take for granted, like mm-hmm. that you will be able to go outside without a mask that you'll be able to go into the grocery store without becoming ill or getting exposed to this thing that might kill you. Like just these things you take for granted because you have to, Mm-hmm. right like if we all just sat in the uncertainty all the time as we're forced to do right now it's that's things look pretty bleak you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: i was just talking to a client about how i feel like there is a fair amount of healthy denial that we have to be in constantly yes and exactly
1: to function, Wait, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a fun exactly. like some conversation we were having too, right? Right.
0: And that's a little bit what has been shattered, that any of that's this right. is ever in our control, that anything has ever um, got any sort of certainty. Like we are in such deep uncertainty and that feels intolerable, but is that the truth of what our lives are always, right? For I mean, it's for sure, right? It's like we're living
2: in an existential crisis that mm. we can't turn away from, you know? This isn't like this is this is the universe peeled back and said like you you know here here it is this is the this is what reality can look like and it's um it's pretty scary.
1: Mm. What do you feel like um or how do you feel like I guess because as a therapist I, I know that this word and this um this drive comes up a lot the idea of resiliency for you yeah. um you know I I talk to a lot of people about how how do I describe this like like the sign of um you know mental health is is resiliency right or i'm I'm not min- mincing my words right now, but I'm curious to know from your perspective where resiliency falls into line when it comes to you know experiencing trauma, becoming traumatized, recovering from trauma um, am I making sense <laughs>
2: no, absolutely for sure, so I think that like i mean it's huge, right it is at the center of things, and I think if we do this right, we can get a lot more resilient um, mm. and I don't mean like if we do this right in, in the practical way, actually the opposite, right? Like mm. if, we, if we hit record and we pay attention to how we're feeling and what helps, then we will have tools, all of us, to deal with challenge in the future. Um, and that's what resiliency is, right? Is this ability to bounce back mm-hmm. because you can't ever know what's gonna happen, but you can know that you'll be okay no matter what happens. Um, and I think one of the things I hadn't thought about this until we're just talking about it right now, but I think what's behind the stress coping failure in our culture is that we don't trust ourselves. Like we don't believe in our, we don't have that knowledge or awareness that we are going to be okay, no matter what happens, because we don't have those resilience tools, you know? And do you Um, think that's
1: because we haven't, as a culture, really been through anything like this before? Like Because that's one of the things that's come up, I think, in conversations on my side, which has been generationally, I mean, since what, maybe my great-grandmother, who's passed, but, you know, with the Great Depression, like, since her, I mean, nobody has really ever experienced anything like this. I mean, we're talking the pandemic now. I mean, obviously, when we're talking about the racial unrest, like the, you know, civil rights, all that's already happened, and we're still in it, and all those things. But I guess just from the pandemic and the economic situation I feel like as a culture, we take so much for granted.
2: Absolutely. We haven't
1: built any of these tools because we just kind of la, 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 never needed to.
2: Yeah. And I think we also like going back to the idea of like the the culture of power through, we don't like discomfort. And I think other cultures are better at that. And so Mm -hmm. we just, we blast right through it and we reach for all these things to numb Mm -hmm. and they, and again, I, that sounds judgmental and I don't mean it that way at all. I fully do that as well. Right. It's not like I have this figured out. I think it's that that's how our system is built, Mm -hmm. um, was for comfort. And then all of those comforts got stripped away and it's like, whoa, wait a second. I don't have anything that I can usually grab that numbs. And so sitting in this feels
0: untenable, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how often in this conversation, MC, as you've been talking about trauma and even just now as you're talking about numbing, you know, a lot of the work that I do is around addiction and I'm so struck by how similar the conversations end up being, right? Like oh, about totally. like when yeah. we reach this moment of we are no longer able to distract or not feel the feelings, we are in this like breaking point of difficulty, but then in that we are sort of aware of what we are capable of because Mm -hmm. we have sort of gotten through that, right? Like that that resiliency teaches us what we're capable of doing.
2: Yeah, totally. And they're so similar. And I think in those moments when you're in your deepest, darkest, right? It's like, okay, where's the pulse? Where's that vital Mm -hmm. thing that's trying to survive? Let me tune into that. What does that need to get bigger and louder and stronger, right? Instead of I don't want to feel anything. So I'm going to try to just numb this all out and not feel a pulse at all.
0: You know? I love that. I love the way you describe that. Yeah. So doing it right. Like, what do you feel like that looks like in this moment in time? Like what, what are we hopefully going to strengthen, going to understand through this time? Do you think?
2: Yeah, so many things, right? Again, like <laughs> I don't, I don't know,
0: right? <laughs> like, with your crystal ball, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but what I'm hoping is that, like, we're because this is a moment of reflection, right? Everything is forced, slowed down, right? And a lot of people, and you guys have seen this, and I've seen this, right? And your clients, are a second, let me look at my life for what it is and see, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm going and all that stuff. Um, so this moment of reflection i think can be huge i think we need to learn to be kinder to ourselves and we need to learn a lot about acceptance right this this whole entire thing is like if we could we all just do a crash course could we all pause and do a crash course in radical acceptance and talk about how like okay here we are it's not okay and here mm-hmm. we are and neutralize that and accept it and then move from there like i think so much of of our skills don't get solidified because we don't stop and like imprint them. And I don't even know really what that means. Like I don't have other language around that, but what are you doing well? What are you doing that feels good? How are you feeding yourself rather than saying like, I should be doing X, Y, and Z and I'm not because I'm stressed out. Right. We're so mean Mm -hmm. to ourselves all the time. And if we can say like, okay, wait a minute, there's a lot going on right now. It is really overwhelming and I'm still functioning. And I still feel connected to other humans and I'm making bread or, you know,
0: learning a new
2: <laughs> hobby or an instrument or a language or like, or I couldn't do it. And so I let myself breathe and that's what I needed. And, and taking that moment and imprinting those wins, I think is super critical mm-hmm.
1: because well, then, think- you
2: know, you have the resilience, you know what I right. mean? That's exactly
1: what I was going to say. I was going to say, but the, those imprinting those small wins, use your language is actually how we. Eventually build resiliency. Yep, I mean, that's exactly. Because exactly mm. then when
2: you're challenged, you're like, oh, wait, I need that particular tool, right? I right. need the lie on the couch and watch the Gilmore girl, Girls for three days tool, or I need yeah. the, you know, make myself busy and learn how to make sourdough bread tool or whatever,
0: you know?
1: Yeah,
2: that's powerful.
0: Yeah, I'm so struck. And like the thought that I'm having is it, it does feel really judgmental, right? But I feel like the life tools that sort of, um, you know we all talk about a lot like with like r- not being in that space of resistance like whatever it is can i just allow for it can i allow it to sort of be what it is move through me feel it i think that i you know i have been struck by either the resiliency of people to sort of like fall into a new normal and sort of like, well, this is what it is. We're going we're gonna to do this now. We're not leaving the house without a mask and we're going to stay six feet away from one another. And we're just not going to do the things that we all have, you know, all of our normals for our culture. And we've sort of, you know, fallen into that. Or we're in such deep resistance that it's like, people losing their minds <laughs> so yeah. like, like
1: what is going
0: on but it feels a little bit like how you do anything is how you do everything and yes. um the tools of resist- of non-resistance are just like really um amplified to me right now
2: totally and i think the other thing that i'm hoping is coming out now because i'm seeing a lot in healing spaces um is can we learn that it's okay for our healing to be interrelational right mm. I'm going to have a moment. I had a moment the other day when I was (laughs) in the grocery store and my mask was like too, it was hot. And my mask was, I was having trouble breathing and I was kind of freaking out. And there was, there had been a long line into the grocery store and I was just, you know, you're, you're wanting things to be normal and they weren't. And I turned to someone who was in line with me and I was like, I hate this. I hate this. Like, (laughs) and he was like, yep, I do too. It's okay. And I was like, ah, thanks man. Like, you know, it's okay to reach out to have those yeah. moments when you're at your boundary and you're mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, you don't have to have it figured out. We need each other. That's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Sometimes you can't hold that space for yourself where you get curious and it's so, so powerful and healing if someone else can do it for you with you.
0: I love that. I feel like you've mm-hmm. taught me such a like like potent lesson about the way that we hold space for one another in in what is hard, you know, I think so much of the time, um, I've been so struck by, yeah, we got to give ourselves some grace right now, but I think having other people affirm that for you and hold space for that for you just feels different. It just feels, um, it has a different level of impact, I think.
1: Well, and also I think you reaching out sometimes for people that that feels almost impossible or Mm -hmm. so hard. Um, I was thinking of that, that quote or that meme that went around a while ago that was like, um, you know, check on your your tough friends, check on mm. your you know your strong friends. And so for those people who, you know, especially for a listener, it's like if you're that person who has a hard time reaching out, um, and then maybe you're the other listener who is the one that does the reaching out. Like, mm-hmm. understand that by reaching out and actually holding that space, like that is powerful because because maybe that person can't reach out right maybe you're actually you know if that guy had like using your example mc if that guy in the line had actually looked at you and seen it on your face and seen that you were kind of freaking out and you hadn't had the tools just to turn to him and say i hate this i hate this but he had maybe just looked at you and said yeah i hate this too without you actually saying it first right that in itself is powerful too and i think it can go both ways if that makes sense
2: yeah that just like brought tears to my eyes totally
0: yeah, I just felt really moved by what you just said to me because I felt like such an awareness of that is what is missing, you know, yeah. those mm-hmm. moments of connection that MC's been talking about this whole time, and people not being seen and how difficult this is for them. And that is where the acting out is coming from. That is okay. where the trauma response is coming from, right? Like, I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. I'm not wearing the friggin' mask, right? Yep. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow, MC, you are just like such a wealth of knowledge. I feel like um, we could just pick your brain about travel all night.
2: I I have a lot of weird facts up
0: here. Mm -hmm.
2: That's one of my coping mechanisms is gather all the weird facts.
1: Same. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I knew I'd like (laughs) to. Yeah, I mean,
0: I feel like it is so, well, what I've witnessed, um, you know, as we were talking about, we're all in this TAT lab together, and I feel like so much of what you are teaching in your groups MC, people are coming into the other groups and sort of reflecting things mm-hmm. that they've taken away and just like how much healing they found in the mm-hmm. recognition of trauma that they didn't know was there. And so mm-hmm. I think it's just so powerful to, um, to have spaces to sort of reframe for people what trauma actually is because I think so many people are moving through the world um, with unresolved or unrecognized trauma and just sort of like redefining no this actually is what trauma looks like is really really healing for
1: well and giving them voice like giving voice to their experience I think to go back to what we were saying about the culture right when we are in a culture that is so push through it power through it pick yourself up by your bootstraps you know so many i mean i've heard it more times in my lifetime than i can even count you know which is like the this is where we get like the liberal snowflake and all these terms mm-hmm. you know it's like we all have trauma and i can just picture somebody being like oh, okay trauma you know just just totally yeah. brushing it off and so to be able to give people the words and the language for no this actually was trauma and it to use all the science that you have, you know, it restructures your brain, it restructures your nervous system. You know, you're not crazy for feeling this way. And you're not weak for feeling this way. That is huge. That is, that is life-changing.
2: So we can judge language that becomes politicized, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and this is where I worry we're going. We talk about trauma because yep, we stretch the word to meaninglessness, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, everyone's traumatized. This doesn't mean anything. But if you go back to this unbearable emotional experience, like, can you imagine someone standing in front of you, no matter who they are, no matter what, you know, however you might disagree with them in all other areas of life, if they stand there and they say, hey, what I'm going through is unbearable or what I went through was unbearable, like that's, that is an invitation to connection, right? Mm-hmm. And, sh- and sharing and holding space, like, you know, being like, okay, let me hold some of that for you, right? You can't, there's something at the heart of trauma that is inherently connective, I think, even though it seems the opposite, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, wow that's so potent mm-hmm.
2: and and you guys like you guys hold that exact space like you embody that both of you and i hear this in the podcast and i know this because i know you as humans like mm-hmm. you are offering that for all of your clients and all the people you encounter where you're just like you have this grace of approaching and meeting the problem where it is with curiosity being like okay let's talk about that like whatever it is you guys are Providing that safe space for people, and that's I think you're right like it is
0: life changing
1: mm-hmm.
0: wow well, thank you for that yeah. and that yeah. from you
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it's this idea of like normalizing it's the idea of just making people realize that they're not alone in the struggle mm. and you know I mean that I did my I did my thesis on trauma as initiation and mm. you know wow. just understanding the power in I mean, it's storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the initiat- initiation process is. It's, it's about yeah. being able to come out the other side and then look back and go, oh my God, that was the death. That was the rebirth. That was the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and taking all of those pieces and actually making sense of them all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which I think is ultimately the work that all of us do. And um, I think, you know, so much of why we wanted to do this podcast and certainly why we wanted to have you on MC is just this thing of normalizing Mm -hmm. these experiences that we're all having, that we're all sort of Mm -hmm. walking through the world but none of us are talking to each other about what this feels like for me, right? And there's something so powerful about you saying, you know, what I'm sitting with is unbearable. Um, Mm -hmm. And how if, if we recognize that in one another and hold space for that there's just um that's how we heal Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mm. totally so MC, we have um a few questions that we ask all of our guests Um, oh
2: there's a lightning round yes lightning round before
0: we let you go um so let's start with uh what breaks your heart oh um when other people are stuck in their
2: shame Mm. Because it's unnecessary, and I always just want to reach, you know, reach out. It's okay, whatever it is, it's okay. Mm. Yes, put that shame
1: down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our second question is: Where or when do you find yourself in a flow state? What's your flow?
2: Oh, with clients, and also when I am like just completely geeking out on like brain stuff and finding (laughs) research studies, and like being like, wait, this is you know this part of the brain is connected to this. I recently learned, this will be really short, I promise, that they <laughs> so they found out in brain scans that they can kind of tell what kind of early life stress you had mm-hmm. based on underdevelopment in your brain and overdevelopment. So if you had um, emotional abuse, for example, growing up, the part of your brain that's responsible for self-worth and sense of self is mm-hmm. underdeveloped and actually will be functionally smaller. Anyway, sorry, that's flow state.
1: <laughs> Can it? No. Can it grow... As you get older, yes. okay. Yes, yeah. You can. You can. You just have to
2: forge those connections. Um, <laughs> yes, for sure.
0: Yeah, what I love about UMC, if I may, is that you have this ability to sort of like um, make approachable the things that might be like really intimidating about, you know, like brain science, but yet you bring like such a deep, like emotional intelligence to the way that you talk about things that it feels approachable for someone like me that would be like, yeah, brain science. <laughs> thank you that means a lot I have like
2: big feelings about science facts so that <laughs>
1: <laughs> that should be that should be like the the just like the headline on your website I have big feelings I have big,
0: about I have <laughs> big feelings about brain facts I love that oh, that's amazing
1: okay um, our third one is is silly but fun
0: yeah so what's your favorite food oh chocolate no uh, no no question. yeah just <laughs> that's was no. up <laughs> oh wow thank you so much for just being here MC I feel like at a time when um you know V and I both feel like it's really important for us to be talking about trauma and recognizing um the collective trauma it just uh, we really appreciate you coming on and just sort of giving an introduction to like how we define it and what it really is for so many of us no, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I think, and again, like, I
2: just, I think what you guys are doing is so awesome.
1: And where can we find you? And see, so like if people are out there and they, re- you know, they, what you say resonates and they want to kind of follow you more.
2: Yes. Um, I have a website, alchemycoaching.life. And then I'm on Instagram. It's MCPHD, but it's E-M-S-E-Y-PHD on Instagram.
1: MC. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, thank you. And and also, because we said it multiple times and we yes. don't know what it is, we should probably talk about the TAT Lab just quickly. So, if you are curious, TAT LAB.com. Uh, it's basically like the class pass of mental and emotional wellness. Mm. And so, uh, there are a bunch of therapists and coaches that, you know, every week there's a ton of different classes and groups that are running. And essentially, you could jump into whatever, whenever you want, you can. Um, and they're different topics, right? So, MC does a whole series on trauma. I do a whole series on codependency. You know, Danae does relational work. She does addiction work. Um, and it's awesome, guys. There's like such an amazing, I don't know, vibe collective going. Um, you know, it's such a safe, supportive space. Everyone's in there to do the work. So, there's no nose turning you know it's like we're all in there with our sleeves rolled up together it's kind Mm -hmm. of
0: become like a group of like minded seekers and Mm -hmm. people are finding community and just like holding space for one another's healing it's really just been so beautiful to be a part of yeah Yeah,
2: it's, I can honestly say, so John Kim is like one of the only people I've ever met on, like from the internet. I met him on Tumblr like 12 years ago or something Mm. ridiculous. Um, And these people are the only other people that I would like go and meet because we've become so, um, so close. And it's such a, like, Danae, you just said it perfectly. Like, it's like like like-minded seekers. We're just Mm. all like, hey, let's look at this problem. Don't let that intimidate you
1: you if you're out there and you want to join because it's not a mean girl situation. You can sit with us. (laughs) <laughs> that we I, want um, you to sit with the group us. is growing you know it's kind of like a yoga community where you know Why? there's definitely the people that were there the, uh, on you know the start but like we're always welcoming new people and so the, the the community is growing i think like by the week and it's it's pretty powerful yeah absolutely
0: um, all right guys all right well thank you again for being here mc and thank uh, you so we'll much you
1: next time Okay, sounds good
0: all right bye, bye guys